After that, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to walk up here or skip, so luckily I just walked for your sake. But uh, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm Will. I'm the youth pastor here, and we have got the opportunity to study God's Word together. Uh, I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and open it up. If you don't, there's one in front of you in the pew. Uh, The Scripture will also be on the screen this evening as well. But we're going to be looking in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If you've been with us over the last several months, uh, we have been walking through this together, and I've uh, preached two sermons Uh, on James already. If you happen to miss that, you can go back to our YouTube channel or on our website and you can uh, follow up on those. But we want to continue in the book of James this evening. Uh, James was written by uh, James and he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was writing to uh, the church Christians who were Jews who were dispersed because of persecution. And so James is writing to a particular audience, but he's also writing to us this evening. uh, And he's wanting to teach us uh, this big theme of James, which is faith in action. Uh, And so what he wants us to learn is that our faith uh, leads into action, that the way that we live as Christian believers and followers of Christ uh, reflects not only in what we believe, but also in the way that we live our lives. And so tonight we want to continue in that, looking at James chapter 2 and looking particularly at this idea of partiality uh, versus love comparing the two and seeing what does James have to say on the topic, and not only what James has to say, but also many of the other New Testament writers uh, and Old Testament scripture as well. And so uh, as we begin this evening, let's open up in prayer. Father, once again, we are thankful for the opportunity we have just to come and worship you, God, to uh, enjoy songs together and to enjoy fellowship and to sit under the preaching of your word. And so, God, may we humble ourselves. May we acknowledge that you are sovereign this evening and that you have uh, a word to speak to us. And so, God, as we look to the text of James, we pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would shape us, that you would strengthen our faith, and that our our lives would follow into that faith. And so, God, be with us this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as many of you know, I have a uh, three-month-old and an almost three-year-old at home, and so my life is uh, pretty entertaining. We've got the charismatic section down here this morning, so if you hear uh, hallelujahs and amens and all kinds of noises, that's what it's probably coming from. Uh, but Hatcher uh, loves to hang out in our youth ministry. Uh, he, any chance he can get, he wants to be around the teenagers. He thinks he's one of them. Uh, he thinks that he belongs with, uh, with running around with them and playing basketball and, and doing everything. This morning I went to take him to the nursery and he said, I don't need to go to the nursery. I go to big church. Uh, he, he's a big boy, even though he's uh, little. And a couple of months ago, uh, he, as children do, he began to grow, and I blessed him, or really cursed him, with uh, having feet like me. And his feet are flat, uh, and they are wide. And that becomes a problem when you go to buy shoes as they get older, because most shoes, uh, if you've ever gone shopping, are probably more narrow than uh, they are wide. And so we had shopped all around for Hatcher. We went to Walmart. We went to all the kids' shops. We could not find him shoes that fit. And his old shoes were growing. Uh, he was too small for him. We had to get shoes. And so we went to Macon one day and ran some errands, or ran some errands in Macon and stopped at a shoe store. Uh, and being in youth ministry and being around students, Hatcher's looking at these youth all the time and seeing what they do and what they wear and and what does Chandler wear? And what is uh, Jane's grandson is Hatcher's goal in life right now, which is a good and a scary thing at the same time, I think. But uh, if, it's a, if, she, if he ends up like his grandparents, we're okay. But uh, he looks to see what are they wearing? What are they saying? What are they doing? And so he went shopping. And so Hatcher was determined to get some shoes with a Nike check on them. 
Now, he doesn't realize I'm a youth pastor. I can't afford for him to wear Nike all the time. Most people can't wear, afford for everybody to wear Nike all the time. And so we go into the shoe store, and we're looking around and trying to see if I can find any on sale. And we see some Nike shoes. And so I said, all right, I'll just entertain him, and we'll try them on. And so put him on, got his size, strapped him up, let him run down the aisle and come back. And he you know, just wouldn't stop looking at his shoes. And I said, are they comfy? And he said, yeah, they're, they're comfy. And they were not comfy. I could tell. I mean, his little, his little wide foot is hanging over the edges of these things. I mean, they do not fit. I'm like, this, this is not going to work, which is a good thing for me because I didn't want to spend that much on shoes. So I look around and try to find, is there anything that would fit him? And so New Balance uh, runs in wide sizes, and they have them even for toddlers. And so I said, oh, my goodness, look at that, a wide shoe. Uh, and thankfully, it was on sale. And so I said, all right, I've got to talk these things up. And so I said, Hatcher, look at these shoes. They've got straps on them, and they're blue, and, and they're, they look comfy. And he's kind of looking at them. And I said, let's put them on and try them. So he puts them on, and he walks down the aisle, and he's, he's not really excited. He's not running. He's just kind of walking slow. And he looks down to his shoes, and he comes back. And I said, they're comfy, aren't they? He said, they're not comfy. I said, I need to, he said, I need to take them off. I said, buddy, they fit. They're comfy. He said, and he kind of stopped and looked down. I said, why are they comfy? And he said, they don't have a Nike check. And I realized then I was doomed that my two-year-old already knew brands, and I don't know where he gets it from, but I blame the youth. And so uh, <clears throat> we put the new balances down, and we walked away. We didn't buy shoes, and thankfully there's grandparents, and they went out and bought him Nikes because that's what they do. Uh, but the point is this. Even a two-year-old, or even if you're as old as me or older than me, all of us are partial to things in life. Some of us like certain brands, some of like, us like certain types of music, some of us like uh, black coffee, some of us like cream and sugar in our coffee, some of us like, do like dogs and others like cats, which just proves that we live in a fallen world. But all of us are partial to something. Now that's not a problem, it's okay to, to have a particular liking for something or a particular fondness, but when it transfers to the way that we interact with people, it becomes a problem. It's okay for us to like our coffee a certain way or to, to even like a certain brand or to like a type of music. But when it goes into our relationship with others and our interactions with others, James is going to tell us tonight that it is in contrast to what God commands. That partiality does not fit in to the message of the gospel. And so partiality may not be a bad thing when we're talking about shoes or things that are material, but when it comes to individuals... Partiality is seen as an unfair bias. It's seen as discrimination. It's seen as prejudice. And so James says the way that we interact with individuals each and every day are going to show them whether we're the salt and light of the earth, whether we truly have faith in Jesus Christ, whether truly we have faith in action, faith in living out what we claim to be, living out that identity in Christ. And so tonight what I want us to do is we're going to walk through verses 1 through 13 in James chapter 2. And we're going to just walk through it together. We're going to look at each verse individually and as a, as a whole. And then as we get done with that, we're going to kind of summarize everything in one big picture. There's a lot to walk through. And at times it kind of seems very simple. We can read over it and say, okay, I understand it. But uh, as I pondered this this week and the week before, I just kept going over and over about all the things that I've never really thought about in this passage. And so we're going to walk through the text and then we're going to look at uh, the pitfalls of partiality that James gives us. And then we're going to walk through individually the three commands that James lays out for us uh, in this passage. So let's go ahead and turn to verse 1. It should be on the screen or you can open your Bible as well. 
James says this. This is the first command that we're going to get to uh, and talk about more in depth later in the passage this evening. But he says this, my brothers. This is a statement that James uses often. It's a, James, uh, it's a statement that's re- relaying the common bond that these believers had in Jesus Christ. It's saying that they are fellow believers, those that follow Christ. And so he says, my brothers. It's a statement of endearment. He says, show no partiality. Show no favoritism. Show no prejudice as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you believe in Jesus Christ, as you take hold of Him as your Savior, as your Lord, show no partiality. Hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, the one that is to be exalted, the one who lives in splendor. And so here's the first command that we are called as believers, as those who hold our faith in Jesus Christ, to show no partiality. Do not show unfair bias to individuals based on certain things in this world. And James is going to go ahead and illustrate for that, us for that in James chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Look what he says here. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. So the, the culture that they were in, if you were rich, if you were wealthy, you would have gold rings, you would have fine clothing that would be splendid or glorious or shining or you know, you can see a, a Nike check on it. And so he comes into your assembly. He says, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So you have this illustration of two individuals entering into the assembly. The word that he's using here is synagogue, but he's really talking about a house church. So he says, as a believer, you're gathering for worship. <clears throat> and two people come in. One has gold rings and shining clothes and fine clothes, and the other one comes in and he's destitute. He has clothes that are of little value. He's got dirty clothing on, and they come in, and he says this in verse 3, and if you pay attention, if you look favorably on to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So he gives us a command, do not show partiality. He gives us this illustration, two people come into your assembly. He says, you pay attention to one, you notice one, the man with rings, the man with the fine clothing, you say, oh, okay, you come over here and sit in a good place. You give him the seat of honor. You want to glorify him, to exalt him, to acknowledge who he is. But then you look to the poor man, the one in shabby and dirty clothing, and you say, You stand over there, just kind of go to the back, or sit down at my feet, which is a position for a servant. And so there's this distinction that begins to take place, and so he says, have you not made a distinction? Have you not judged that there is a distinction in value between these two individuals? He says, you have become judges with evil thoughts. You have judged, you have discerned that there is something valuable in one person and not valuable in another. Leviticus 19 verse 15 puts it this way. Moses is recording the law. He says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Proverbs says it this way in chapter 14 to verse 23. These also are sayings of the wise, partiality and judging is not good. So these believers would have understood that they are not called to judge, especially when it comes to partiality, because he says when you judge this way, it leads to evil thoughts. He says it leads to wickedness, to worthlessness. 
your reason, reasoning is wrong. And it's in contrast to who God is. Paul would say in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for God shows no partiality. So if you're holding to faith in, the Jesus, in Jesus Christ, then why are you showing partiality when God shows no partiality? Favoritism is literally defined as to receive according to one's face. This is favoritism, to receive according to one's face, to look at an individual, to look at the things that they wear, the, the appearance they are, the, their ancestry or their heritage or their financial income or whatever else it is, and to receive them based upon that. And James says, when you do this, you judge, but you judge with evil thoughts. In verse 5, he says, listen, my beloved brothers. So once again, he gives us this statement. He calls their attention. He's saying, accept and respond. Pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So he says, you judge and you judge wickedly and reason worthlessly, he says, but not, hasn't God chosen, doesn't he choose those that you dishonor to inherit the kingdom? He says, so you see the individual that's poor, that has little value in the world, but God sees them, and he sees their value. And he says, I'm going to bless them with greater blessings than this earth can provide. I'm going to allow them to be rich in faith, to be abundant in faith, and heirs of the kingdom. They're going to take possession of something that is eternal, something that is more valuable than material wealth. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those that are poor, those that are weak, those who acknowledge their need, who are not wealthy in this world, God decides to choose for them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. So he gives us this illustration, but then James goes on even further. He takes this hypothetical situation and he shows us that it's probably an actual case, an actual issue that's taking on in this church. Look at verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. You've treated him shamefully. And then he says, look what happens. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who are giving you severe hardship? Are they not the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And so he says, the people that you were trying to honor, the people that you were trying to exalt, that you were trying to gain from, they're the ones that are dragging you into court. They're the ones that are oppressing you. Now, he's, what, he, what he's referring to here is often the, the rich would lend money or lend land to the poor or lend money in order that they could keep their land, and the, the rich would then take them into court and get their land in order to get more wealthy. And he says, this is what's taking place. The person that you're showing honor is dishonoring you, but not only is he dishonoring you, he's dishonoring me. He says, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name? Are they not the one that defame my good name by which you are called? And then we see the second command in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So what is this royal law? What is this kingly law? It's this. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where the Lord says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. 
Jesus would reinstate this command as well. He would affirm it, and he would say it in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Listen to what Jesus says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the royal law that he is referring to is this command to love our neighbor as ourself. Romans 13, 8-10 speaks of it again. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. And so James says, you are called to fulfill the royal law, the law that is affirmed by Jesus Christ, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do this, you are doing it well. You are living your life right, correctly, in line with Scripture. And so we see this contrast, to live with partiality or to live with love. And then he tells us the opposite in verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the law, but if you show partiality, if you make a distinction because of riches or outward appearance, you are committing sin. And then you are exposed and rebuked by the law as transgressors. You are violating the law of the Lord. And then to show the the weightedness of his argument... He says in verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So his audience may be saying, well, you know, James, it's really not a big deal if I show partiality. But James says, no, don't overlook your small sins, the the sins that you define as small. Maybe the sins that you define as your pet sins that, that really aren't that great. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, just one point, becomes deserving of punishment. You become guilty of all of it. He says partiality is a sin of commission. You are choosing to be disobedient to the commands of Scripture. He says, For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. James compares partiality with adultery and murder, something that we probably would have a hard time comparing. But he says, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James wants us to understand that partiality matters to God. The way that we interact, the way that we treat others, the way that we respect them matters to God. And then in verse 12, he gives us the third command. He says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 tells us that all will be judged. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
So James tells us, we will all be judged. The day is coming when our words and our actions will be judged. They will be evaluated under the law of liberty. And what is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. It's the freedom from sin, but also the freedom to love. And so we see that true freedom is found in obedience to God's word. It doesn't mean that we are free to live our lives how we want. It's freedom to be free from sin and to be obedient to the Lord. And that freedom from sin is made possible through the power of the gospel. And so James says, you have been set free from sin, therefore live, let your words, let your actions be done under this idea that you will be judged under the law of liberty, that you've been given freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James says the challenge is for you to show and extend mercy. You are a people, those that have held the faith in their Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, have received mercy. Mercy is compassion with action. God has been merciful to us through the gift of His Son. And so James says, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. James says, if you want to receive mercy when that day comes, you must extend that mercy to those people that you come in contact with each and every day. And so this is the text, this is the, the, the letter that James writes, so I want to summarize these uh, with, with two different things. One, we want to look at the pitfalls of partiality. There are six of these. The first is this, partiality glorifies man, not God. This text reveals to us, James is writing to us, showing us that partiality glorifies man and not God. We can see this in verses 1 to 2. He says, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, meaning that God deserves to be exalted. Christ deserves exaltation and honor. But yet when we show partiality, rather than exalting the Lord, we exalt man. We look to his riches and his wealth and we say that person deserves honor. So partiality glorifies man, not God. Secondly, partiality leads to evil thoughts and a judgmental spirit. We saw this in verse 4. It leads to evil thoughts and a judgmental spirit. When we look at someone's appearance, when we look at their wealth, when we look at their race, when we look at their background, whatever else it is, our judgment, our partiality, our prejudice, our favoritism is evil. And it leads us to have a judgmental spirit. Partiality also contradicts God's love and dishonors the heirs of his kingdom. Partiality does not sit in line with the message of the gospel. We saw that in verses 5 to 6a, the very beginning of verse 6. It contradicts God's love. God has chosen those whom the world deems unvaluable, those that are destitute, those of little value. He says they will be heirs of his kingdom, that they will receive a greater blessing than the earthly riches that you so desire. So partiality glorifies man, not God. Partiality leads to evil thoughts and a judgmental spirit. Partiality contradicts God's love and dishonors the heirs of his kingdom. Fourthly, partiality promises gain, but leads to loss. So these believers expect to gain something from this rich person. They see him and they say, hey, he's got rings, he's got nice clothing, let's honor him and maybe... We can get something from him in the future. Maybe our congregation will look better if he's there, if people know that so-and-so comes to, to our gatherings. 
that everything will look better. But James says, no, they're the ones who are oppressing you. They're the ones who blaspheme the name of God. And so it promises gain, but it leads to loss. Loss of honor to both us and also loss of honor to Jesus Christ. Number five, partiality results in sin and guilt. Partiality is sin. That is what James is saying. It is sin, and it leads us guilty before the Lord. In verses 9 to 11, we are guilty before God if we commit the sin of partiality. And number six, partiality withholds mercy in verses 12 to 13. Those who receive mercy are called to extend mercy, but when we live in a life of partiality, what we're doing is we're withholding mercy to those people that we deem unworthy of receiving it. So those are the pitfalls of partiality. Now let's look at the commands that James calls to fellow believers. Number one, in verse one, he tells us to show no partiality. I watched a video on YouTube a couple of months back. This man lived uh, in New York City, and he decided to do a little experiment. He walked out, he took a camera, his cell phone, and he walked through New York City where all the people were, and he walked through the crowds and, and came back, and he, he said, if you notice in the video, no one really paid me any attention. He said, no one stopped to really talk to me. Nobody came up and wanted to take a picture with me. No one really cared who I was or what I was doing. Then he made an experiment. The next day he walked out, he dressed up, looked really nice. He had two friends that dressed up in a tuxedo. He had one guy that came with a camera behind him, and he started walking through New York. And they started recording what happened, and so people would see this guy, and they would see that he had a nice outfit on, and they saw that he had bodyguards, and you can see the people starting to talk and point and trying to figure out who is this person. I'm, I'm sure they're famous. I'm sure there's somebody uh, who we want to know. And after about 30 minutes, the guy walks through town, and all of a sudden he, has, he starts having this following, and people start coming up to him, and they say, hey, can, can I take your picture? And so he takes pictures with him, and then all of a sudden he starts signing autographs, and nobody knows who he is. And his bodyguards are coming up and keeping the crowds back away. And there's a camera that's coming up and acting like they're recording him. And, and people are, you know, talking and they're interviewing people. Hey, did, you know, what do you think of him? And, oh, he was great. And how did you think he was in that movie? He was phenomenal. He was the best actor I've ever seen. And, I mean, just people are flocking to this guy. And there's this huge crowd. And they finally have to leave because there's so many people that come up to him. And he gets back to his room and he, he posts on YouTube. He's, and he's a nobody. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody, I mean, he came up with a fake name, and all these people were talking about him as if they knew him. They wanted to associate with him because they thought he had value. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing as we gather as Christians and as we live our lives. We can see somebody, and we can see the clothes that they wear. We can see the friends that follow him, the, the, their Facebook profile online, their wealth in this world, and we can be partial to them. We can show favoritism, favoritism to them because we think that if we can associate with them that we will have something to gain. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this, man looks, not on the, or man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord doesn't care about the rings. He doesn't care about the shining, splendid, glorious, fine clothing. He doesn't care about the Nike checks. He cares about the heart. He looks at our heart, not at our wardrobe. He says, I value you not because of your wealth. I value you because you are a person made in my image. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. When we show that we value someone over someone else, it insults God. 
It is a sin. We are guilty of partiality. And so it insults the Lord and it devalues individuals who are made in the image of God. Our value does not come from the wealth that we can gain in this world. Our value comes in the fact that we are made in the image of God. That God values us. And so as Christ followers, as believers, as those who hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we must not be fooled into judging others by their outward appearances. James says, command number one, the big command, show no partiality. Command number two, love your neighbor, which is in verse eight. I remember going to my first 3D movie when I was dating Babs. We went up to Atlanta and visited uh, her parents, and we went to go see one of the Chronicles of Narnia movies, and they had it uh, showing in 3D. And I don't know if you've ever been to a 3D movie, but you walk in, and they give you these weird little sunglasses, and you kind of put them on, and you're, they don't feel right. They're kind of uncomfortable, and you're like, what in the world is this supposed to do? And so they get ready to start the movie. They tell you, put these glasses on. Uh, and you start looking up at the film, and all of a sudden, this film that should be flat, that's on a screen, all of a sudden, it's 3D. It, it looks like it's coming at you, and all of a sudden, you see all these monsters coming across, and you're jumping back. And as I started watching that, it was amazing, the perspective that I had with those glasses. Well, then, I took them off, and everything on the screen was, was blurry. And I realized that I couldn't see the film like I was supposed to without having those glasses. And so, I put them back on, and everything, you know, became crystal clear and you could see everything moving around and then you take them back off and everything's kind of fuzzy and distorted and there was a different perspective depending on what I had over my eyes and James says this we are called to look at others through the lens of God's grace we are called to put on the lens of God of God's grace as if we were sitting in a 3d movie and putting something over our eyes and James says when, when we're walking around around without God's grace what happens is it's all kind of blurry it doesn't make sense, and so we get things mixed up, and we say, hey, we should value that person because of this, and, and I need to be partial to this person because of this. But James says, when you put on the lens of God's grace, when you look at individuals through the gospel, it changes your perspective. It changes the way that you value that individual that you're coming in contact with. It changes the way that you handle that coworker or that friend, that person at the grocery store, that person on the other line that's trying to help you that you're so annoyed with. And so James is saying it's, it's not just an emotional response to show love to your neighbor. No, it's an act of the will. It is only done by the power of God's grace. And the motive is not personal gain. We do not value that person. We do not love them because what they can do for us. No, we value that person because it gives God the glory. Warren Wiersbe once said, we only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. We only believe as much of the Bible as as we practice. We proclaim ourselves as a church to be a people that practice what we preach. That we live out our faith. But do we really believe as much of the Bible as we practice? Do we practice love for our neighbor? Do we choose to see the individuals that we come in contact with each and every day through the lens of God's grace? One of the evidences of our faith in Christ is our love for others. John says it in 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If you want to know where you are in your relationship with the Lord, ask yourself, do I love my neighbor? Is there evidence in my life of a love for the people that God comes that puts in contact with me? Number three, let your words and actions be guided by the awareness 
of divine judgment. So James says in verse 1, show no partiality. In verse 8, he says, love your neighbor. And in verse 12, he says, let your words and actions be guided by the awareness of divine judgment. The evidence of our faith is seen in how we treat and how we love others. And so James calls us to live in humility and with mercy. He says, one day we will all be judged. And that may sound scary, but if we're in Christ, we know that we, when we receive that day of judgment, that we are receiving the mercy found in the cross. And so James says, live in light of the mercy that you've been given. Let your words and let your actions, the things that you say and the things that you do, be guided by the awareness that there is a day of divine judgment. Judgment that for believers is found in the law of liberty. The freedom that we've been set free from sin. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing th- or to bring to nothing things that are. Paul says we were chosen not because of our good deeds, but because of God's grace. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, it, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Lord does not call us based on worldly standards. He doesn't call us because of our possessions or wealth. He calls us to boast in Christ, to live our lives in light of the gift that we've been given. And so those who have received mercy are called to extend mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so in the days to come, how will you extend mercy to your neighbor? How will you show mercy to the people that God places in your midst? When you leave here tonight and you go tomorrow, wherever you're going, how will you handle the relationships and the actions that you take with the coworkers and the friends and the people, the people that you interact with? We are called to extend mercy, to to show compassion with action to each of the people that God has placed in our lives. To every person that walks through the doors of First Baptist Church, we should show them love. We should show them mercy. We should show them that we care for them, that they have value, not because of their material possessions or because of their racial background or because of any of the decisions that they've made in their life, but because God says they have value, because they are made in the image of God. Of God, And so as our church, may we be known to show love and mercy to anyone who steps into our assembly, into our worship setting. And may we love as Christ loved, and may we be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs the message and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. God, we ask for forgiveness for the sin of partiality. And God, we know that if we are honest with ourselves, there have been so many times in each of our lives, God, that we have shown partiality and prejudice and favoritism to individuals based on their worldly success. God, may we show no partiality in our lives. May we love our neighbors. May we fulfill the royal law. And may our words and our actions be guided by the awareness of divine judgment. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jonathan comes to lead us in a hymn of commitment. It's an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. You can do that in your seat or publicly at the front of the altar. Please stand as we sing.